We're on the Lost Book of Enki, Part One. And uh, put in pine to the heaven into the atmosphere and, and would stay suspended. Thus, with replenishments, the breach would heal and uh, it would have better protection. Let the celestial boats be built. Let a celestial fleet to the to fleet the gold to Nibiru bring over. So they're, here they are talking about let's create ships and go somewhere out, you know, on the other side of our solar system. It's the middle of part one. Gold and bring it back here. It's just called The True Man Zoo is this channel on YouTube. On, huh? Get us all to mine it. Get us all to build our whole, you know, fight and kill each other for, you know, 3,500 years, 3,600 years, however long it is. You know. And then uh, create this power structure. Then get everybody to hoard it in one spot. Then when they get to come, when the Anunnaki come back and tell us. The Tenecar Clay Earthlings, bow down to me. We are the Anunnaki and we return for our gold. We will take it back to our planet and leave your pathetic Earthlings here on the planet to die. You know, things that need to happen. Probably what it's going to be, isn't it? Folks, you're going to have to get this gold right now, folks, because I'm not going to want to take the gold away from you, folks. Tan's got a great deal on Jugo for you today, and uh, you need to get it now, because uh, I don't have much time left, folks. Yeah, I'm not going to take your gold, folks. I'm fucking mad about it, man! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably hear that before it's over with. So sounds weapons like a... The Alex Jones we, of the um, ancient world. Established in... Uh, <laughs> Reading William Bramley and reading the rest of this, that the weapons of terror they refer to are the uh, uh, nuclear weapons, weapons of mass destruction. So they're saying they should, you know, go to this planet or wherever it is and just launch nuclear weapons and blow some of the shit out of stuff and go in and pick up all the gold. For a decision, Lama was too feeble. What, uh, what did he know about making that kind of a choice? One circuit, once uh, orbit of Nibiru was completed, in the fields, affliction was was not diminished. The volcanoes being continued belching, and the atmosphere was still not repaired. A third shard passed. A fourth was a shard is a year uh, in Nibiru, by the way. It's a, it's a uh, marking of a, or a year, or marking of a, a sort of passage of time. But when they say a third shard passed and a fourth shard passed. That's a, a, a notation of time, by the way. Uh, still, the gold was not obtained. In the land, uh, there was still strife. Strife was abundant. There was no food, no water. Nobody, everybody in the in the lands were disjointed. Everybody was accusing each other. Uh, everybody's running around like basically like a chicken with their head cut off, not knowing who to blame, playing the blame game. And they're basically saying, well, then if if this is our destiny to die like this, then, uh, you know, uh, doing, or, or, we can't really do anything about it. In the royal court, the princes were astir. The king's accusations were directed foolishly, unreasoning, and greater calamities except the cure he brought forth. From the olden storehouses, weapons were retrieved of rebellion. There was much speaking. 
prince in the royal palace was the first to take up arms. And now they're having civil unrest. And uh, they went up to uh, Lama and uh, attacked him. And uh, they killed Lama, the, the eighth ruler. He, he, uh, Lama is no more. The king is no more, with glee he announced. To the throne room, Alalu rushed. On the throne, he himself seated. Without right or counsel, a king, he pronounced himself king. In the land, all unity was lost. Some rejoiced the death of Lama. Some were saddened by it. Now this is the account of the kingship of Alalu and of the going to earth. So when this guy, so it's, essentially what they're telling us is that this guy Lama died, and this guy Alalu, who just, you know, wasn't anybody, basically came in and said, I'm not of the bloodline, I'm, not, I'm just a regular person, I'm taking over. And now that I'm taking over and I'm the new game in town, I'm, I'm saying that we're going to earth and we're going to go get the gold there. So there was no talk of going to Earth and mining Earth. That's interesting. Um, by the power structure of people that existed on the throne in Nibiru, there was no talk of even going to Earth to do this until this usurper came in and basically took over the throne by, you know, sheer brute force. He came in, killed the king, took over and became king, and said, we're going to Earth to get the gold to fix this problem. That's very interesting. This is why they say that the Anunnaki, the people that came to Earth and did the things that they did and created humans and all this stuff, were um, pursued from some of the other inhabitants of, of, of Nibiru. By, they were pursued by other Anunnaki. So that, that, that kind of clears that, that, that up a little bit, doesn't it? So it wasn't that we were even, you know, invaded or genetically manipulated by people who were the royal bloodline we were these were basically usurpers we were uh, that's, that's kind of an unbelievable thing in the land uh, the unity was lost and uh, many people didn't did not like the kingship of this guy Alala just coming in and saying I'm taking over I'm the new game in town you can imagine that uh, princes were agitated the council counselors were distraught from father to son secession from on the throne continued. Even Lama the Eighth, by adoption, a son was proclaimed. Who was Alalu? Was he a legal heir? Was he a firstborn? By what right did he usurp? Was he not a king slayer? Before the seven who judged Alalu was summoned, his fate to consider. Um, so they bring into him to be judged by seven people. neither legal heir nor son of a firstborn royal seed he uh, was he of Angshargal I am descended before the judges he claimed by a concubine my ancestor was born to him Alam was his name by the count of Shars by the count of years Alam was the firstborn throne to belong to him so basically he, he came in and uh that, no, I can prove that I am part of this bloodline, so they couldn't really argue with that. The royal annals from the House of Records were brought forth with much care they were read. On and onto the first royal couple, 
there were three sons and no, no daughters born to them. The firstborn was Anki. He died on the throne. He had no offspring. The middle son in his steed was uh, Anib. And Shargal was his firstborn, and to the throne he ascended after him. On the throne of kingship, by the firstborn did not continue, so. It didn't continue on that far, and this goes on and on and on. They're talking about blah, blah, is he? They're trying to figure out, is he, does he have the right to be king? You know, is he a usurper, this, that, and the other? Secession must be reconsidered to the assembly, he said, through neither firstborn nor by the queen of a son of pure seed am I descended. The essence of on in me is preserved by no concubine diluted. So he's saying, you know, yeah, basically, yes, she had, you know, on had, the, 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 my father had sex with, you know, a person who wasn't of the bloodline, but didn't dilute it. You know, I'm still part of the, he's trying to just convince these people that he is one of them up through the bloodline so that he can, you know, maintain power. They ask for his name. It is Anu. After my forefather, I named now what's interesting about that. Wow. So this is this is the story of Anu. So the guy who took over and usurped the throne was Anu. And we know that Anu's sons later on were Enlil and Enki. Enlil and Enki, who allegedly caused all this havoc on Earth, the flood and genetic manipulation and all this stuff, and seeding mankind with these phony religions, were the results of, of, of someone who may or may not have actually been a part of the royal bloodline. So if that's true, and these people that are in charge and power today, and presidents, kings, queens, power structure all over the world, that are part of this bloodline, and they're basing their whole divine right to rule on the fact that they're a part of these bloodlines, right? If that's true, then that would make them imposters. That would make them these, because from what this is, from this genealogical and historical record of the ancestors of the Anunnaki tells us is that it wasn't the, the people who had been in the bloodlines and in the power structure and everything up to that point who made the decision to earth. They seemed to, to act like that was taboo. Then this guy comes in, kills the king, takes over, and then goes through this big, you know, long, drawn-out ordeal of being in front of the council and, show, oh, look at me, and, and you know, and I came from this bloodline and, my, you know, my, my baby daddy was over here, and, you know, he fucked this this whore, the concubine, and just because she's a whore doesn't mean I'm not a part of the bloodline. All this convincing going on, you see? So, again, that would make this very, very interesting. That would, that would prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the, 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 these people that, oh, maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe that's why they've been creating space-based weapons. Maybe, you know... They're scared because if there's something to this, if this is real, then that would mean that at some point, the real bloodlines of power, if any of these people still exist anywhere, could actually feasibly come back and call out the power structure here on Earth as being the usurpers and the 
descendants of the usurper who took over the throne on Nibiru. They could very well come here and say, you know, we need help fixing our our atmosphere, but, you know, they came down here and set this up and, 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 and basically did it against our wishes. Boy, that could be... No wonder they don't want us knowing what this information is. My goodness, see, it just becomes more clear every time we read it. My, they asked him what his name was, and he said, My name is Anu after my forefather. I am named. They inquired about his generations of An's three sons, he reminded them. Anki was the firstborn. Without a son or daughter, he died. And Neb was the middle son. Instead of Anki to the throne, he descended. Anib, the daughter of his younger brother, took to be wife from them onward to the succession in the annals. It was, it was recorded. Who was that younger brother? A son of An and Antu that was of purest seed. The councils, counselors looked with wonderment at each other. Inuru was his name. Anu to them announced that he was my great ancestor. His spouse, Ninuru, was a half-sister. Her son was firstborn. Inama was his name. And uh, from the throne ship, we were removed. From An's pure seed, we were not removed. So they basically at some point took out someone who had the right to be in power and tried to say that they, they weren't a part of the bloodline when they were. Okay. Though by different offsprings of one ancestor, we were both descended. Let us live in peace together and return abundance to Nibiru. Let me keep the throne. Let you keep the secession. Meaning, you know, all right, well, let's do it like this. You let me stay in charge and have power and get some stuff done. And when I'm done and I'm old and I die, I'll pass it on to you. And then your bloodline can keep it going after that. Nice little compromise to keep everybody happy, huh? To the council words he directed, let Anu, the crown prince, be. Let him be my successor. Let his son, my daughter, espouse. Let secession be united. Anu bowed before the council, and to the assembly he declared, Alalu's cupbearer I shall be, his successor in waiting, a son of mine, a daughter of his, as bride I shall choose. That was the council's decision. And in the royal annals, it was inscribed. In this manner, Alalu on the throne remained seated. He summoned the sages, the savants, and the commanders for him to consult in deciding that, and from that, he gained much knowledge. Let celestial boats be constructed to seek the gold and the hammered bracelet, he decided. So again, he usurps the crown, takes over, convinces them, hey, you know, you let me get in here and do get some stuff done, and then I'll make sure when I'm done that, you know, we'll still continue the bloodline thing and pass down the power. And so what is the first thing he decides to do? Let's build the celestial boats. Let's build the crafts. Let's go to the hammered bracelet, the area around the earth, and let's get the gold and bring it back here and fix our atmosphere. And uh, their first try... Um, was essentially uh, no good. By the hammered bracelets, the boats were crushed. None of them returned. Let the weapons of terror 
enter the bowels of Nibiru, let Nibiru be cut open, let the volcanoes again erupt, he then commanded. So this asshole tries to, you know, build these ships to go and get the gold. It fails. They, they, they are destroyed, and then he gets pissed off and unleashes, you know, weather weapons and says, let the volcanoes erupt, unleashes nuclear weapons. With weapons of terror, skyborne chariots were armed with terror missiles from the skies where the volcano struck. Oh! So he sent up the, the ships and launched nuclear weapons inside of the volcanoes of Nibiru. The mountains swayed, the valley shuddered as great brilliances with thunder exploded. In the land, there was much rejoicing. Everybody was expecting there was going to be an abundance of food and things were going to get better. And uh, it just continued to get worse. The volcanoes did not increase. The atmosphere did not heal. And uh, it kept going around its orbit. And uh, it kept getting colder and colder on the beer room. Wow, so it's getting very interesting. So we're going to leave it there, and uh, we'll pick up tomorrow and read more of this. You know, it is kind of a tough read. Somebody pointed that out, one of our listeners. But, you know, I, I, I've done that before. I've started books, and I've said, oh, this is a tough read. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do that with this. I'm going to see this one through. And the reason is because I think there's enough here to gain from reading this. You know, and, and, and I don't mind going through and kind of giving you the, you know, rough translation of what this stuff is saying. But, man, it's just ultimately fascinating. Again, you know, the past is prologue. The, this, you know, he who ignores the past um, is, is, is someone who is not going to know what's going to happen in the future. And this is this was recorded for us so that we wouldn't make the same mistakes that they make. And unfortunately, uh, you know, well, trying to figure out how to repair your atmosphere and stuff like that. Sounds like we're pretty much already there, doesn't it? But uh, we'll continue more with this next. At chapter 40, or uh, page 43, where we left off last night in the uh, Lost Book of Enki. Of rocks and boulders was it together hammered. Like orphans with no mother, they banded together, surging back and forth a bygone destiny they followed. Their doings were loathsome, troubling uh, their ways. Nibiru's probing chariots like praying lions they devour. So, something uh, basically, you know, devoured these spaceships. The precious gold needed for surviving they refused to dislodge. The chariot of Alalu toward the hammered bracelet was headlong moving. The ferocious builders in close combat to boldly face. There's definitely a, a fight going on here. Alalu, the firestones in his chariot more strongly stirred up. That which shows the way, with steady hands he directed. The ominous boulders against the chariot charged forward like an enemy in, in battle attacking. Toward them, Alalu uh, shot a death-dealing missile from his spaceship. That's literally what it says. This is towards the Malalu, a death-dealing missile from the chariot let loose. So he shot a, you know, he shot a missile out of a spaceship. Then another and another against the enemy. The terror weapons he thrust. So he's shooting nukes. 
this is great. You know, how come nobody's made a sci-fi movie out of this shit yet? Somebody will now that I've said it. Make billions of dollars, and I wish I would have done it. <laughs> that always happens to me. As frightened warriors, the boulders turned back a path for a Lalu granting. Like by a spell, the hammered bracelet, a doorway to the king, it opened. That sounds like a stargate. So a stargate opened. In the dark deepness, Alalu, the heavens, he could uh, clearly see. By the bracelet's ferocity, he was not defeated. His mission was not ended. In the, in the distance, the sun's fiery ball was sending forth its brilliance, welcoming rays towards Alalu it was emitting. Before it was a red-brown planet on its orbit, the six and count of celestial gods it was. Alalu could but glimpse it. On its destined course from Alalu's path, it was quickly moving. Then snow-hued earth appeared, the seventh in the celestial count. So he's getting, you know, he blows up and blows this stuff out of the, out of the way, the people that are chasing him. And then, uh, so as he's, so they're chasing him from Nibiru. He shoots these nuclear weapons, blows them up, and, and starts making his way towards earth, presumably to come down and see this with culture and information and religion and to call himself a god and everything else. Toward the planet, Alalu set his course to a destination most inviting. Smaller than Nibiru was its alluring ball. Weaker than Nibiru was its attracting net, its gravity. Its atmosphere thinner, it was thinner than Nibiru's, and its clouds were within it, were within it swirling. Below the earth to three regions was divided. Snow white at the top and on the bottom, blue and brown in between. Deftly, Alalu spread the chariot's arresting wings around the Earth's ball to circle. Again, you know, let's keep in mind this stuff came out of Sumerian clay tablets. Do you think these people could have just made up perfect descriptions of the Earth? <laughs> it just boggles my mind to people that say that this, uh, this is hogwash or whatever. I mean, that's, uh, you know, 5,000-year-old text, how can you explain that? In the middle region, dry lands and watery oceans he could discern. The beam that penetrates downward, he directed Earth's innards to detect. I have attained it, he ecstatically shouted. So right there he tells you he had a beam that he could shoot down to Earth and determine how much gold was there. That's high technology. I have attained it, ecstatically, he shouted. Gold, much gold. The beam has indicated it was beneath the dark-hued region in the waters it was, too. With pounding heart, Alalu's uh, a decision was contemplating. Shall he on the dry land his chariot bring down penchants to crash and die? Or chance to crash and die? So, you know, will he, will he land on, on land or shall he uh, land on the water and, and, and risk sinking? Which way shall he survive? Will he the treasured gold discover? In the eagle seat, Alalu was not stirring to fate's hands the chariot he entrusted. Fully caught in Earth's attracting net, the chariot was moving faster. Its spread wings became a glow. Earth, oh, its spread wings became a glow? Was this motherfucker landing in a Klingon bird of prey or something? Jesus Christ! Is that where the fuck they got that at too? Wouldn't surprise me. Von Braun's Nazis were in on the science advisory board on the on the original Star Trek series. Fact. 
it spread its wings, its spread wings became a globe. He's landing in a bird ship, a fucking Klingon bird of prey. Jesus Christ, the Anunnaki are Klingons. Great. No wonder they're dumbasses. Klingons are fucking dumb. Earth's atmosphere was like an oven. Well, yeah, you come in through the atmosphere, you start heating up, motherfucker. Guess you weren't smart enough to know that in advance, were you? I guess you didn't have a, a nifty little laser beam you could shoot down here to figure that out, now did you? Then the chariot shook, emitifying a mortifying thunder. With abruptness, the chariot crashed, and with a suddenness altogether stopping. Senseless from the shaking and stunned by the crash, Alalu wasn't moving. Then he opened his eyes and knew he was among the living. At the planet of gold, he victoriously arrived. Now, this is an account, the account of the earth and its gold. It is an account of the beginning and how the celestial gods were created. In the beginning, when in the above, the gods in the heavens had not been called into being. And in the below, key, the firm ground had not yet been named. Alone in the void, there existed Apsu, the primordial begetter. In the heights of the above, the celestial gods had not yet been created. So, see, they had, he, that's, exactly. Celestial gods, the ones that were the hierarchy that, that was the bloodlines on the Biru that we talked about earlier, that, that genealog genealogical record, those are the ones that became the gods. Above and below, the gods had not yet been formed. Destinies were not yet decreed. No reed had yet been formed. No marshland had appeared. Alone did Absu reign the, in the void. Then by his winds the primordial waters were mingled. A divine and artful spell Absu upon the waters cast. On the voids deep he, pour, he poured a sound sleep. Tiamat, the mother of all, as a spouse for himself, he fashioned. A celestial mother, a watery beauty, he was indeed. Uh, a, a watery beauty, she was indeed. Now, Tiamat is said to be this, the mother of all, which is, is supposed to be this other planet that was once in our solar system that was a water planet that looked like a second sun from Earth because of, of the way the sun reflected off the water on the planet. Beside him, Apsu, little Mumu, then brought forth. As his messenger, he him appointed a gift for Tiamat to present. A gift resplendent to his spouse, Apsu, granted. A shining metal, the everlasting gold, for her alone to possess. Then it was that the two, their waters mingled, divine, oh, their waters mingled, yeah. You know what it says when, when their waters mingled, right? Yeah, you know, like Jesus turned the water into wine. You now Jesus turned the water into wine. He shot a fat load right in some girl's mouth. Divine children, yeah, really. That's what the water was, the magic water he told him to drink for. Yeah, man, it was, it was semen. It was semen worshippers. Uh, male and female were the celestials created, Lamu and Lahamu, by the names they were called. In the below did Apsu and Tiamat make them an abode. Before then, had they had grown in age and in stature, and the waters above Anshar and Kishar were formed. Surpassing their brothers in size they were, as a celestial couple, the two were fashioned. So hear, hear, what, they're, hear what they're saying here? They're talking about forming these celestial... They're, 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 they're talking about... He's talking about forming moons and forming things like of that nature, and planets. 
in order for life to be able to flourish on Earth. Because if we didn't have a moon, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have any any sort of tides or any ability for uh, life to be created. A son on in the distant heavens was their heir. Then on to to be his spouse, and as on's equal was brought forth, as a boundary of the upper waters, their abode was made. Thus were three heavenly couples, below and above, in the depths created by names that were called the family of Apsu with Mumu and Tiamat they formed. At that time, Nibiru had not yet been seen. The earth was not yet called into being. Mingled were the heavenly waters by a hammered bracelet. They were not yet separated. At that time, circuits were not yet fully fashioned. Oh, so even, okay, well, that's interesting. That tells you right there. They're talking about forming planetary systems. I've, I've talked about this and speculated about this for a long time. That I believe that at some point during one of these cataclysms, the earth was, was re-terraformed. I think that's what these, these guys have been doing. They've been going around terraforming planets forever. And that's kind of what it's talking about here. I mean, that is what it's talking about here. I mean, it says at that time, the circuits were not yet fully fashioned. Well, the circuits, we know, they're referring to orbits. So that's an admission that they had the technology to be able to create orbits for particular planets. I mean, that's, that's insane. Their celestial kinfolk banded together, erratic were their ways. Their ways to Apsu were very loathsome. Tiamat, getting no rest, was aggravated and raged. A throng to march by her side she formed, a growing raging host against the sons of Apsu she brought forth. With eleven of this kind she brought forth, she made the firstborn born Kingu, chief among them. When the celestial gods of this herd uh, did hear for counsel they rallied. Kingu she has elevated to rank as on command to, sh to him she gave. A tablet of destiny to his chest she has attached his own orbit to acquire. To battle against the gods of her offspring, Kingu, she instructed, who will stand up to Tiamat, the gods asked each other. Now, this is this is crazy, because this is turning into this, this like sort of mythological story of, of, of these planets, you know, in our solar system, battling each other. That's just bizarre. So who shall stand up to, to Tiamat? So let me guess. Somebody's going to defeat Tiamat. And then when they defeat Tiamat, that's what's going to cause the asteroid belt to form. It's going to cause all the water to rush to Earth. And that's what they're going to refer to in the book of Genesis as the waters above the firmament, right? Let me guess. <laughs> Watch, whatever happens, Tiamat's going to be defeated. And that's what that's symbolic of. None in their orbit stepped forward. None a weapon for battle would bear. At that time, in the heart of the deep, a god was engendered. In a chamber of fates, a place of destinies, he was born. By an artful creator was he fashioned, the son of his own son he was. From the deep where he was engendered, the god from his family in a rushing departed. A gift to his creator, the seed of life, he carried with him. To the void he set his course, a new destiny he was seeking. The first... To glimpse the wandering celestial was the ever-watchful Antu. Alluring with his figure, a radiance, he was beaming. Lordly was his gait, G-A-I-T, gait. Exceedingly great was his course. 
Of all the gods, he was the loftiest, surpassing their orbit, he was. The first to glimpse him was onto her breast by child never sucked. Her breast by child never sucked. I bet there's an anagram in there, Alice. Come be my son, she called to him. Let me your mother become. He cast her net and made him welcome and made his course for the purpose suited. Oh, oh nice orbit pulling in, uh, in, something in the orbit there. <coughs> her words filled the newcomer's heart with pride. The one who would nurse him made him haughty. His head to double size grew larger. Four members at his side he sprouted. And his lips, uh, his, he moved his lips in acceptance. A godly fire from them blazed forth. See, this is talking about, you know, probably Jupiter forming. Toward Anne to his course he turned, his face to Anne soon to show. When Anne, or on saw him, my son, my son, with exaltation he shouted. To leadership you shall be consigned. A host by your side will be your servants. Let Nibiru be your name, as crossing forever known. He bowed to Nibiru, turning his face at Nibiru's passage. He spread his net for Nibiru, four servants he brought forth. So this is saying that the gods themselves are the planets, and the planets themselves are the gods. As in they are conscious, and, the, and each of the planets are actually living entities that are conscious. That's That would have unbelievable implications for, for our planet and all planets, wouldn't it? But that's what they're saying here. His host by his side to be the south wind, the north wind, the fast wind, and the west wind. With joyful heart on to Anshar, his forebearer, the arrival of Nibiru announced. Anshar, upon hearing this, Gaga, who was by his side as an emissary, sent forth words of wisdom to On to deliver to task Nibiru to assign. He charged Gaga, which I believe is Venus, to give voice to what was in his heart, to On thus say, Tiamat, she who bore us now detests us. She has set up a warring host. She is furious with rage. Against the gods, her children, eleven warriors, march by her side. Kingu, among them, she elevated, a destiny to his chest she attached without right. No god among us against her venom can stand up. Her host in all of us has established fear. Let Nibiru become our avenger. Let him vanquish Tiamat. Let him save our lives. For him to decree a fate, let him go forth and face our mighty foe. To On, Gaga departed. He bowed before him the words of Anshar, he repeated. On to Nibiru's forebearers, words repeated Gaga's message to him, he revealed. To the words, Nibiru with wonder listened. Of the mother who would her children devour with fascination, he heard. His heart, without saying, to set out against Tiamat, he had already prompted. He opened his mouth to On, and Gaga said, If indeed I am to vanquish Tiamat to save your lives, then convene the gods to assembly and proclaim my destiny to be supreme. Let all the gods agree in council to make me the leader and bow to my command. When Lamu and Lahamu heard this, they cried out with anguish. Strange was the demand, its meaning cannot be fathomed. Thus they said, gods who decree the fates with each other consulted 
To make the Viru their avenger, they all agreed to him an exalted fate decree. From this day on, unchallengeable shall be your commandments. To him they said, no one among us gods shall transgress your bounds. And uh, we're about to pick up, it's about to uh, get into the celestial battle. So I'm going to read this little bit and stop before he gets to the celestial battle. Come to Biru, be our avenger. They fashioned him for him a princely circuit towards Tiamat, a, a orbit. They gave Nibiru blessings. They gave Nibiru awesome weapons. Anshar, three more winds of Nibiru brought forth, the evil wind, the whirlwind, and the matchless wind. Tishar, with a blazing flame, filled his body, a net to enfold Tiamat there within. Thus, ready for battle, Nibiru toward Tiamat directly set his course. So this is talking about this, you know, the battle of the gods and the gods being planets and and, and what led to that? So we know, as we already know, that Tiamat is going to be destroyed. That becomes the asteroid belt. The water comes rushing down to Earth, uh, covering much of the land on Earth with water. It was already covered with a great deal of water, but that's where the rest of it came in. And that would lead us to the next timeline of uh, them starting to use genetic manipulation and start to use mankind as a slave race. This is fascinating stuff. Uh, it's one thing to, you know, already have an, uh, a, a, an idea of this stuff being there, but, uh, man, oh, man, it's totally different when you really start to look at it in this way. And I'm glad we're reading this. I'm glad we're starting to get some information on some of these, you know, anagrams. Now, this is the account of the celestial battle. And the lead up to that last night, so I actually have the battle. And how the earth led came to be and of Nibiru's destiny. The Lord went forth, his fated course he followed. Toward the raging Tiamat, he set his face, a spell with his lips he uttered. So, this is interesting that these people, you know, they seem to be, you know, these gods are using spells, magic, and wow. Tiamat, of course, we know this is the battle of the planets, the encounter of the celestial battle, meaning the battle of the planets. And Enki talks about these these planets being gods, which is funny. Yeah, somebody was talking about that that email we got from some crack nut a few months ago, saying all the planets are Satan. Oh my God! Satan's God, bitch. Oh my goodness. Um, and so um, again, you know, this keep bear, bear in mind what we're talking about here in this segment that. This is a supposedly a planetary battle between gods, the, the plants themselves being gods and, and battling. And of course, we know what the outcome that's going to be this, the, the destruction of Tiamat, which was allegedly this water planet that, when viewed from Earth, made it appear from Earth that there were two suns because it was a water planet and the sun shining on it made it reflect so it looked like a, a second sun. And supposedly, it was blown up. The uh, pieces of it became. The asteroid belt and all the water came rushing down to Earth, causing the Great Deluge. And uh, so this is this is essentially what uh, what this is going to be talking about right here. Toward the raging Tiamat, he had set his face, a spell with his lips he uttered, as a cloak for protection. He, the pulsar, and the emitter put on. Pulsar, and so that's like a, I mean, 
That sounds like high technology, doesn't it? I mean, again, you, you have to understand that you know, this is this is talking about very, very advanced technology, advanced beyond what we even have right now, uh, 2011, way, way beyond that. With a fearsome radiance, his head was crowned. On his right, he posted the smiter. On his left, the repeller he placed. Laser weapons, it sounds like. This is just insane. The seven winds, his host of helpers, like a storm he sent forth. Toward the raging Tiamat he was rushing, clamoring for battle. The gods thronged about him, then from his path they departed. To scan Tiamat and her helpers alone, he was advancing. The scheme of Kingu, her host commander, to conceive. When he saw vigilant Kingu, his vision became blurred. As he gazed upon the, in the direction of the monsters, he was distracted. And uh, he got off course and he was confused. Tiamat's band tightly encircled her. With terror, they trembled. Tiamat gave a shudder to her roots and a mighty roar she emitted. On Nibiru, she cast a spell and engulfed him with her charms. The issue between them was joined. The battle was unavoided. Face to face they came, Tiamat and Nibiru against each other. They were advancing. They approached for battle and they pressed on for single combat. spread his net to encompass her he cast it with fury Tiamat cried out like one possessed she lost her senses the evil wind which had been behind him the biru drove forward in her face he let it loose it, I mean, I'm not trying to be sexual dirty or be vulgar here but I mean you know what that kind of, you know what that sounds like right drove forward and let it loose in her face. I mean, you know, I don't think it's very hard to figure that out. I mean, you know, shot a load. I mean, I don't know what to say. She opened her mouth, the evil wind to swallow, but could not close her lips out. The evil wind charged her belly into her innards. It made its way. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, this is totally what this is. I mean, okay. Wow, this is the ejaculation of the gods into the, the mouths of the gods. This is, you know, this is dirty, man. This is triple X. The FCC would have a major problem with this if this was on terrestrial radio. The Bureau drew forward. The Bureau drew forward. In her face, she let it loose. She opened her mouth, the evil wind to swallow, but could not close her lips. The evil wind charged her belly into her innards and made its way. Her innards were hollowed. Her body was distended. Her mouth was wide open. Through the opening, Nibiru shot a brilliant arrow. The lightning most divine. It pierced her innards. Her belly tore apart. It tore into her womb and split apart her. Having thus subdued her, her life breath he extinguished. The lifeless body surveyed, like a slaughtered carcass Tiamat now was. Beside their lifeless mistress, her eleven helpers trembled with terror. In the Biru's net they were captured, unable to flee. 
Tingu, who by Tiamat was made the host chief, was among them. The Lord put him into fetters. To his lifeless mistress, he bound him. He wrestled from Kingu. The tablets of destinies unravel. Well, that would mean that that would mean that he made uh, Tiamat the stamped it with his own seal and fastened the destiny to his own chest. Others of Tiamat's band, as captives he bound in his in his orbit, he ensnared them, so he's making them his planets. Ensnaring them in his orbit. He trampled them underfoot and cut them up into pieces. He bound them all to his orbit. To turn around them, he made, and, 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 and to rotate backwards in course, so he made them have a reverse From the battle of Nibiru, then departed. To the gods who had appointed the victory to announce, he made a orbit around Apsu. To Kishar and Anshar, he journeyed ahead. Gaga came out to greet him as a herald to the others he journeyed. In and into Nibiru to the abode in the deep he proceeded. The fate of lifeless Tiamat and of Kingu he then considered. To Tiamat, whom he had subdued, the Lord Nibiru then returned. He made his way to her, paused to view her lifeless body, and to artfully divide the monster in his heart that was planning something. Then, as a muscle into two parts, he split her. Her chest he separated. Her inner, her inner channels he cut apart. Golden veins he beheld with wonder. Trotting upon her hinder part, the Lord, her uppermost part completely severed. The north wind, his helper from his side, he summoned. He thrust away the severed head, the wind he commanded to the void, in the void to place it. The viru wind upon Tiamat then hovered, sweeping upon her gushing waters. Nibiru shot a lightning. To the north wind, he gave a signal. And a brilliance was Tiamat's upper part to a region unknown carried. With her then bound, Kingu was also exiled. Of the severed part, a companion to be. The hinder part, fate Nibiru then considered. As an everlasting trophy of the battle, he wished it to be. A constant reminder in the heavens, the place of the battle to, to enshrine. With his mace... The hinder part he smashed to bits and pieces, then strung them together as a band to form a hammered bracelet. Is that Saturn? Locking them together as a watch. No, that's the asteroid. The hammered bracelet is the asteroid. Locking them together as a watchman, he stationed them, a firmament to divide the waters from the waters. Yeah. That's about the firmament. That's what we talked about in the book of Genesis. He the waters above the firmament, from the waters below it, he separated. Artful works the Biru thus fashioned. The Lord then crossed the heavens to survey the regions. From Apsu's quarter to the abode of Gaga, he measured the dimensions. The edge of the deep of the Biru then examined towards his birthplace, he cast his gaze. He paused and hesitated then to the firmament, the place of the battle, slowly he returned. Passing again to Apsu's region of the sun, missing his spouse uh, that he thought about with remorse. He missed her because she was dead. He gazed upon Tiamat's wounded half to her upper part. He gave attention. The water 
waters of life, her bounty from the wounds were still pouring. Her golden veins, Apsu's rays were reflecting. The seed of life, his creator's legacy, Nibiru then remembered. When he trod on Tiamat, when he split her asunder, to her the seed he surely imparted. He addressed words to Apsu, to him saying, with your warming rays to the wounds, give healing. Let the broken part new life be given, in your family as a daughter to be. Let the waters to be to one place be gathered. Let firm land appear. This is when they're transferring the water to earth, folks. That's what this is. By firm land, let her be called Key. Henceforth, her name to be in Key before it was named Earth was Key. Apsu to the words of Nibiru gave heed. Let the earth join my family. He, firm land of the below. Let earth, her name, be henceforth. By her turning, let there be day and night. In the days my healing rays to her I shall provide. Let Kingo be a creature of the night to shine at night. I shall appoint him so Kingu became the moon companion, the moon forever to be. Which is just odd to you know, our moon is seems to be an artificial construct. It seems, you know, it's, it doesn't orbit, it orbits us in a geosynchronous pattern like a satellite. Not like an orbit of a moon. That's what's very odd about it. Nibiru, the words of absolute with satisfaction heard. He crossed the heavens and surveyed the regions. To the gods whom had elevated him, he granted permanent stations. Their circuits he destined that none shall transgress nor fall short of each other. He strengthened the heavenly, heavenly locks, gates on both sides he established. An outermost abode he chose for himself beyond Gaga were its dimensions. The great circuit or the great orbit to be his destiny, he beseeched absolute for him to decree. All of the gods spoke up from their stations. Let Nibiru's sovereignty be surpassing most radiant of the gods he is, let him truly the son of the sun be. From his quarter, Amsu gave his blessing. The Viru shall hold the crossing of heaven and earth. Crossing shall be his name. The gods shall cross over neither above nor below. He shall hold the central position. The shepherd of the gods he shall be. A shar, or a, a, a type of a way of measuring time, Ashar shall be his his orbit, that his destiny will for be will forever be. Now, this is the account of how the olden times began. And of the era that in the annals of the golden era by the name it was known, and how from Nibiru to Earth the missions went the gold to uh, the missions to Earth to obtain gold uh, happened. The escape from Alalu from Nibiru was its beginning. With great understanding, was Alalu endowed. Much knowledge uh, he, had, he had learned, he learned much knowledge by his forefather in Shargle of the heavens and the orbits. On the orbits, much knowledge was amassed. By Inshar was acknowledged, greatly augmented. That Alalu made much learning with the sages he discoursed, savants, and commanders he consulted. Thus was the knowledge of the beginning ascertained. Bracelet was the confirmation. The 
diamond bracelet of, of gold in Tiamat's upper half was the indication. At the planet of gold, Malalu victoriously arrived in a, chair, a high chariot with thundercrackers on Loud spaceships crashing down. With a beam, he scanned the place, his whereabouts to discover, so he, <laughs> there again, comes down in his ship, his UFO, scans a beam down, and then decides that where, he, where he's going to land. The same thing that, that he did before when he decided that it was gold there. Shot a beam down. It's amazing stuff here. 5,000-year-old text. Talking about UFOs shooting beams down. Crazy shit. High chariot on dry land descended at the edge of extended marshes. It landed. He put on an eagle's helmet, and he put on a fish's suit. Hatch he opened it up the hatch he stopped to wonder. Dark hued was the ground, blue light from the skies. No sound there, no one to bid him welcome. Alone on an alien planet he stood, perchance from Nibiru forever exiled. To the ground himself he lowered, the dark hued soil he stepped. There were hills in the distance, nearby much vegetation there was. Ahead of him there were Martians into the marshy step. By the water's coolness he shuddered. Back to the dry ground he stepped. Alone on an alien planet he stood. With thoughts he was possessed of his wife and his offspring, and with longing he remembered was he forever ever exiled from Nibiru? Of that again and again he often wondered. To the chariot for the spaceship, the UFO, he soon returned with food and drink to be sustained. Then deep sleep overcame him, a very powerful slumber. How long he slept, he could not remember. What awakened him, he could not tell. The brightness there was outside, a brilliance on the Viru unseen, the sun. A pole for the chariot he extended, for the tester it was equipped. It breathed the planet's air, compatibility it indicated. Chariot's hatch he opened, and the open hatch he took a breath. Another breath, and another, the air of key indeed was completely compatible with the virus. Alalu clapped his hands, a song of joy he was singing. Without an eagle's helmet, without a fish's suit, to the ground himself he lowered. The brightness outside was blinding, the rays of the sun were overpowering. Into the chariot he returned, a mask for the eyes he donned. Sampler he lowered. 
waters uh, for drinking the water was not fit, Lalo was greatly disappointed. He turned away from the marshes in the direction of the hills he went. He made his way through the vegetation. The bushes gave way to trees. This place was like an orchard. Trees with fruits were laden with fruits. By their sweet smell, they enticed him, and Alalu picked a fruit and put it in his mouth. Uh, it smelled very sweet and tasted very sweet, and he was greatly delighted. Away from the sun's rays, Alalu was walking toward the hills, and he set his direction. Among the trees, a wetness under his feet, he sensed, the sign of close-by waters. In the direction of the wetness, he set his course in the midst of the forest. There was a pond, a pool of silent waters. Into the pond, the sampler he lowered. For drinking, the water was good. Alalu laughed, and unstopping laughter seized him. The air was good, the water was drinking, uh, was fit for drinking, there was fruit, there were fishes. What more did he need, right? We'll find something like a bang, and we'll be all set. You know, I got food, I got water, air, now I need something to put my dick in. You know, that's pretty much where we're going next. Gotta be. He's a man, right? He's got his food, he's got his shelter. What's he need next? He needs vagina. And, uh, boom, here you go. That's how the human race got here. The end. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Boom, that brings us up to date. That's how we got here. Some dude, you know, with a big ego, crashed on an alien planet. Found some food, found some shelter, found breathable air, found something to fuck with. Bam! This is how life was created. I don't know, we'll just walk into a classroom and teach that. Uh, <laughs> alright, uh, alright kids, here we go. We're going to learn about uh, creation and evolution today. Here's how it happened. 5,000 years ago, uh, an alien, uh, drunk-ass, corny, uh, inconsistent his egotistical alien crashed to Earth. He missed his wife and, and, and his kids. Mostly he missed his wife because he couldn't get any poontang. And, uh, you know, he found some fucking fruits and berries and some water and some reef layers. That's badass. Now I gotta get my dick wet. And uh, that about brings us up to date, kids. We'll have a quiz on this on Friday. Be sure and tell your parents what we learned today, okay? Guys, be safe. Thanks. Yeah, this guy's like, you know, I don't know what I need to have something to have sex with. The daughters of man. That's what he's going to have sex with. Yes. With eagerness, Alalu bent down together. He cupped his hands and put water in his mouth. And he had a different taste from the water of Nibiru. Once more he drank, and then with fright, he jumped. A hissing sound he could hear. A slithering body by the poolside. And snake, dude. We got snakes down here on this planet. All that technology and laser beams and, you know, shooting beams down to see where the gold is and shooting beams down to see where the optimum landing spot is. All that fucking technology couldn't save you from a fucking water snake, now could it? I mean, you know, that, that really, it's, it's funny because that's what, you know, that's what it seems like what the elite do, what the new order does. It's that, that kind of shit, you know? You guys will pull up all these operations, but you really have a fucking brain between you. It's just... Didn't count on that fucking snake, did you, Bubba? 
uh, he seized the weapon that he carried and uh, blasted away a uh, uh, pussy. Shot the snake with a fucking laser beam. The moving stopped. The hissing was ended. To examine the danger, Lalo stepped forward. The slithered body lay still, 